Um, I came in 61. Um, I think they had just built Placeville Marie. I think the big thing was to go up on the restaurant on the top of Placeville Marie, you know, that uh, went around and around or whatever. Um, I think that was the, uh, around that time there were all these um, bombings going on, right? The, the, was the FLQ, I think? Yeah. Um, like you were afraid to mail a letter, right? Because the mailbox might explode and stuff like that. My first memory was, um, you know, so my parents drove me down. As I told you, it happened all very suddenly, so I was really quite terrified of what I was doing, you know. And um, when we got to McGill, I was kind of, you know, really so scared of all, you know, here are all these students wandering around and I felt so shy and unable to, you know, deal with it and so on. And anyways, and then my my parents had some friends that they knew from the army who lived out in the east end of, of uh, Montreal. Um, and so I think they came in to the city on Sunday uh, and we went to La Fontaine Park. And I could not believe, here you had all these women who were very dressed up. I mean, people dressed up in those days, right? So the women were always very glamorous looking and, you know, wearing high heels and stockings and, you know, dresses and, or skirts or whatever, you know. It was really, um, it was mind-boggling. It was just n nothing quite like it that I'd experienced at, in, in Ontario, you know. And I did have an aunt in Ontario, in Toronto, who took me aside before I came to Montreal and she said to me, what do you want to go to Montreal for? She said, Montreal is the city of sin. <laughs> Of course, I wanted to say, well, that's why. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, because I lived in this residence, it was a very protected sort of environment, right? It was run by the warden, if you can believe that. The woman who ran the residence was called the warden. Mm -hmm. And you were, you were supposed to go to supper. Supper was a very formal event where you lined up you know, uh, by the year that you were in. So the, the first year students were at the back kind of thing. And we had all taken up knitting, I think. So we were knitting these scarves that went on forever and stuff. And we, because it was so boring because we would go into this huge room, which I think now is one of the um, concert halls, right? This huge room um, and sit at tables and then there'd be the head table. And we were not allowed to leave that room until the head table decided to get up and leave. And of course, they'd sit there and yak and have their coffee and blah, blah, blah. And so if you had a date with somebody and you, you know, really had to be out of there, what you had to do was get on all fours, you know, and crawl out as fast as you could before they could catch you, you know. <laughs> and one time I remember going out with a guy and coming home, and so there were certain leaves. You were only allowed, you know, you could be out till midnight once a week or twice a week. It was very, very limited. It was very protective. Um, and I came back and I was having an argument with this guy. It was very important to me to resolve it. So I stood out there on the front porch. I figured they know I'm here. So that's as good as being back. 
But oh no, I got into a lot of trouble and they took away all my leaves for at least a week. You know, it was like, it was just so um, repressive, you know. So in my last year, I applied for permission to move out. And then I lived in a, in a, a one-room apartment on uh, University Street, just across from a frat house. And uh, it, was, uh, it was tiny and I had cockroaches and stuff, but I liked it. <laughs> and that's when I started meeting more different people and not just this limited group, you know, that I knew in the residence. Um, seems to me I met some people from uh, Concordia and uh, and that's when people were starting to do the twist. I remember going to a dance at Loyola and doing the twist and all that kind of thing. Um, that's about all I can think of. What do I remember? Well, there was definitely this whole struggle, um, the um, um, FLQ, right? Um, although the most, the biggest things that happened, like the kidnapping of Laporte and so on, by that time I was living in Hamilton, I think. Um, but, uh, but I definitely was aware of that. But uh, really, whatever I'd read about Quebec just prior to coming here was more about the quiet revolution, you know, so it was this idea that, you know, somehow Quebec had made this quiet, you know, transition from this more feudal kind of setup to a more modern one, I guess, really. And then, um, um, but do I remember there being tension between French and English? I don't remember anything like that, mm -hmm. really. Um, I remember I was desperate to, to learn how to speak French. And, you know, I had taken French in, in school in Ontario, but, you know, for sure it was like the level of French where everybody's speaking it with an English accent and so on and so forth. And I used to put on the radio and try to listen, and uh, I couldn't catch really anything of what they were saying, so it was kind of discouraging. Um, it was more, it wasn't that divided, no. I mean, no more so than it is now still. Like, you know, NDG, the West End tends to be more English. The East End tends to be more French. Um, and, uh, yeah, I somehow don't think I was, you know, my, my, in my childhood, my, my parents were fairly religious. And um, so, you know, I had, uh, you know, gone to church all, I was, I was a kid who went to church and was quite religious. So I wasn't probably aware of anything much that was going on politically. And I'm trying to, I'm really trying to think of when I started to feel more aware. Well, I, of course, I remember when Kennedy was shot, right? That was in 63. But I mean, that was a kind of a public event. It didn't really, didn't really have much meaning to me other than it was scary and so on. Um, really, I seem to feel that it wasn't until around, well, in 64, in the summer of 64, um, I wanted to do an exchange 
mainly because that was 65, 60, 64, 65 was going to be my last year uh, to get the BA. And that because I then didn't have to worry so much about um, uh, keeping the good marks and having money, then I thought maybe I could afford to do this exchange where I was still interested in languages and I had been studying German. So there was this thing where you could go um, to a German university in the summer and somebody would come to one here, I think. But that particular year, they decided it was really a propaganda thing to have have students um, come over and work in jobs in Germany. Mm. So, <laughs> so first they took us to Berlin and they gave us this big spiel, this real propaganda thing about, look at how wonderful West Berlin is. And now why don't you cross over at Checkpoint Charlie and see how awful it is in East Berlin and all that kind of thing. I think at that point, I sort of remember feeling a little skeptical and cynical and like, what's the big deal sort of thing. And then we got these jobs where, um, you know, it was, it was well, I, I got a job in a, in a hospital. There were several of us who, who uh, and we actually lived in a residence on the hospital grounds, and I was a cleaning lady on the ward for uh, women who were, I think, basically dying of... Um, reproductive cancers, you know, and, uh, and what I found was that um, I thought, oh, like these doctors started inviting me out on dates, but they, all they wanted to do was, um, was have sex with me, and I actually got raped without realizing it was rape. Like, you know, the guy invited me to his place he asked me, did I want to go for a ride in the country? And I said, oh, sure. And he took me for a ride in the country, and he stops at this place, and apparently that's his home, and it's in the middle of nowhere. And he invites me in, and I'm this very young, naive girl, and I say, oh, sure, I'll go in. And, and so then the next thing you know, he's got me on the bed, and, and it's clear that he wants to screw me, you know. And I'm thinking, and I keep saying no, but then he's not listening to me, and, and he's beginning to get aggressive, and I'm thinking... I don't even know where I am. I just, I have no choice here. I've got to go through with this, right? So I did, but it took me many years to realize that that was rape. You know, I just thought, stupid me, I got involved in this situation that I shouldn't have, you know, kind of thing, you know? Um, and I was surprised that these doctors didn't recognize that, because then two or three other doctors tried similar things with me. And so it was like, I realized that for them, I wasn't a student. I thought they would think, oh, she's a student from Canada, and, you know, they'll want to know things about that. But no, they were just like, she's a cleaning lady, and I like the looks of her, and so, you know, and she's of another class, so I can do whatever I want. That seemed to be the attitude, you know. Um, and so I think that's when I started to have more awareness of class and stuff like that, you know? Um, and, uh, and of course, I mean, I went to university. I never expected to go to university. I didn't, you know, my dad, he did become a captain in the army, but he started out as a, um, what do you call it, like uh, other ranks or whatever, you know? He had gone as far as he could in the army without getting an education. So, so we were not 
like well-to-do or even very middle-class people, really. Mm -hmm. I didn't think, you know. And uh, so I think I, I became more and more aware of class, more so than the language issue, mm -hmm. you know. Um, because I was always kind of so aware that, that, that I was living amongst all these people who were so much more wealthy and, mm -hmm. you know, who had very different attitudes and so on, mm -hmm. you know. Am I answering your question? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Okay. Thank okay. You. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, I guess, finally, when I graduated in 65, and, and then I met Bert, and when Bert started uh, going to Concordia, to Sir George, and there was all this student... Oh, no! I remember now. I had a friend um, who... I had a friend who was in the psychology program with me at McGill, and when she graduated, she married her boyfriend, and they went off to Berkeley. And then I started hearing from her all about Berkeley and what was going on there. And in fact, no, it's not right either. In the, the year that they asked me if I wanted to um, apply for this Woodrow Wilson scholarship, and, and then you, you applied to certain, and I did get it, and you applied to certain universities, right? So I applied to all these really top universities like Harvard and Berkeley and uh, University of Michigan. Well, the only one that accepted me was the University of Michigan. And I always said that had I got, in, accept, had I got accepted in Berkeley, I would have gone in a moment. Because I, so I did know what was happening there, that there was this free speech movement, that a lot of exciting things were going on. And then my friend went to live there with her husband. And so after the first year that, that Bert was at uh, Sir George, and that my first year in social work, he'd applied for a student loan from the Quebec government and they'd sent him $100. And so then he appealed it. And in May, when the year was over, they sent him $500. So we said, oh, let's take the $500 and go out west. <laughs> So we went out to Vancouver and then took a bus down to uh, Berkeley and visited our friends there. And that was, that was a real eye-opener as to, you know, student um, um, activism was really interesting. And, uh, and, and all kinds of cultural things like those, uh, you know, doing mimes and, and having plays in the park and all that kind of stuff. It was a very lively scene. It was really quite amazing, you know? And uh, so I think by the time we came back to Montreal after that, and then of course we, we'd already been involved in uh, protesting the war in Vietnam, then we were really very involved in all this stuff. But not to the extent, like let's say where we would like, I remember running into a couple of guys who were deserters, mm. right? And I think they needed a place to stay. I don't recall that we offered that, you know. Maybe we didn't have a very large place. But so I think we were kind of more like the people that go out for the demos, but that don't actually get involved in the organizing, mm -hmm. you know. It was more that level. Mm -hmm. but, but I did find... Um, I mean, in those years, my, um, my awareness and my commitment to uh, justice, social justice, I think that really grew at that point. Mm. And um, 
I'm just trying to think because, you know, the rest of my family being rather religious, they, you know, they didn't really understand it. They didn't get it. You know, they were sort of like, you know, what is she doing down there in Montreal? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the one thing I didn't talk about now that I think of it is in terms of activism was my two, the two times I went to the Philippines. So that was um, came about as a result of being involved in the Immigrant Workers Center. Um, I guess I maybe got an email from the Center for Philippine Concerns mm -hmm. that had been sent out to people at the immigrant workers who worked in the Immigrant Workers Center um, explaining that they were organizing a... Um, um, what would you call it? There's Every year there's this labor um, um, meeting that takes place in the Philippines, and it's um, organized by this uh, labor union in, in the Philippines, um, the KMU. And so they wanted to know if there was anyone who was interested in going on this, I think it was a human rights observation type of uh, mission. Um, so I decided I would like to do that. Mm -hmm. And so um, in 2006, I went with uh, Tess and a number of other people um, to, um, to the Philippines. And um, Malcolm and Marie, um, who were, Marie was involved in the w women of diverse origins, of course, they were already there. Uh, they'd been there for a number of months or something, and they had an apartment. Uh, and uh, I'm trying, I'm getting the two of them mixed up. But anyways, I think we stayed in some hotel in Manila, and then people went out to different parts of the islands. Like uh, my friend Kelsey, she went down to uh, um, what's this? What's this? farthest south one, um, Manoa, Manoa? No, not Manoa. Um, anyway, she went to the farthest south island. I just stayed um, in Luzon and went north uh, from Manila. And um, so we were basically interviewing people who had lost uh, family members because of extrajudicial killings. It was really hard to do that, you know. It was like... Um, heartbreaking really you know to hear these people's stories you know mm -hmm. and and how uh, I remember one woman who said that um, you know they had not sure if her husband if the whole family had already been doing this to make a living but she and her her children continued to go through the garbage looking for pieces of metal that was their way to support themselves and um and we went up into the mountains to a, a very kind of remote area. We also got stopped at, at one town where um, they somebody, I think it was Tess and a couple of other people, asked me if I would like to be the spokesperson for this delegation. And so there I was, and then the, um, the mayor of this town gave me the keys to the city. <laughs> He seemed to think I might be there for some investment opportunities or something like this, you know. <laughs> and that was 2006, yeah. Yes, and, I, they, you know, they, some of these guys looked kind of sleazy, you know, kind of scary. <laughs> 
And then we all went back to um, Manila and, um, and we reported back in this big um, uh, meeting, you know, as to what we had uh, experienced and so on. And, uh, and then I went again in 2008. So that time, it was in May, the, the first time, and that's the hottest part of the year in, uh, in the Philippines, and so it was very hot when I was there. So the second time I went was in uh, was right around Halloween, and so it was a little cooler, and um, and and part of the time Tess uh, took me out to the country to this um, house that she had built in the country, and uh, and I think we went off to this um, resort for one night, which was really really fun, but but I had said to her. If I went back again, I didn't want to go out into the country to do these kinds of missions because the um, you know because I have digestive problems and all kinds of things and if the if I can't get the right kinds of food and and so on it just I just didn't think I could handle that level of hardship so they said fine. I could stay in the hotel, but every day they organized me to go some other place in Manila. To um, So one time I went to a, a, a site where a bunch of workers were on, on strike, um, I think against a hotel or something. Um, one time I went, I was accompanied by somebody and went to... Um, you know, there's a kind of an inlet where Manila is built... It, where where the water is uh, semi salty, um, and there are a lot of fisher folk live around there. So we went to visit some of these fisher folk, mm-hmm. who were who were very concerned that they were going to be displaced, because there were big plans to turn that area into a tourist destination, and I think that is in fact what happened in the end. You know. Um, so we did all kinds of things like that, but the main reason we were there was because um, was to protest the um, um, this meeting that the UN holds that is about um, um, I can't remember exactly. The whole idea was, you know that in the Philippines, so many people have to become laborers outside of the country, mm-hmm. and then that the country survives on the remittances that they send back. Mm-hmm. And so, and this meeting of, this UN meeting was kind of uh, one of these things that supported that kind of, of um, you know, exploitation of, uh, of labor. Yes. And so we were there to um, oppose it. Um, so we went on a couple of really big demonstrations for that, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and that's yeah, that was my last time. Mm-hmm. After that, I you know I began to feel that I just didn't have good enough health, that I didn't feel comfortable mm-hmm. to travel because you know I have certain problems where I could land up in the hospital easily, like diverticulosis and so on. And so I feel it's just a little too uh, too scary and dangerous, you know. Mm. So, um, but I did. I was quite actively involved also back here with the Center for Philippine Concerns for quite a few years. So. Mm.
I always liked doing arts and craftsy things, but I never thought of myself as an artist or as a person with that kind of talent. Um, but uh, I guess, let me think when it would have been, perhaps in the early 80s, um, I was, uh, I remember taking the kids, well, we all went, my husband and the kids and I went to this cottage for the summer and I thought I would make up this project that would keep them amused, but they weren't interested at all. It was me that did it, but it was one of these big pieces of felt where I cut out the figures and I told the story of our summer because we'd had a very interesting uh, summer doing different things. And, um, and a friend of, of my husband's said to me, because at the same time I was trying to find um, a full-time job in social work, and I couldn't find one. Um, I almost got hired at McGill to supervise students, but somebody who wrote a reference for me said that I wasn't always very diplomatic. And that's that finished it, right? <laughs> so I was like at loose ends. What was I going to do? The kids were in school. They didn't need me at home, so on and so forth. And this friend said, why don't you take some courses at Abbott? So I started taking... Uh, I think first I took a printmaking course because he had seen that I was doing batik and he thought that was similar, right? And then I realized that I didn't really know how to draw, so I took a drawing course and a painting course and a whole bunch of those basic things, all at John Abbott. And uh, so I was in my 40s and the kids, most of the students were 16, 17. And I had a great time. I loved it. And... Um, and then somebody also said to me, you know, you could go on to Concordia. You don't have to. I thought I had to have a deck first. And they were like, well, you've already got a BA. What do you need a deck for, you know? So then I got into Concordia and in 84 and finished in 88. And, um, and I started to, I can't remember when I started painting these very large canvases. Sometime let's say, maybe in the third and fourth year that I was there. Um, I just found that I was more inspired. And, you know, if I was working something small, it was too confining. I wanted something where there was a lot of body movement that was involved and so on. And my early paintings were very much concerned with technology. I, you know, computers were really just coming on the scene then. I'm very much a Luddite to this day. I didn't really like all this kind of stuff. And um, I started sort of making these images that I hoped would transmit this feeling that uh, technology is kind of, you know, going to eat us all up or, you know, somehow. Um, so, and then, and then I took a course with Marion Wagshall, who's a local, local painter here. She was giving this course called Painting from a Women's Perspective. And then I got very interested in, because I'd been doing more ge geometrical shapes because it was this technology thing, then I thought I wanted to add in something much more organic as well. And uh, so then I started doing... Um, trying to think what would be a good example. Um, anyways, I, I started in incorporating that, but they were still pretty abstract paintings that I was doing. 
and um, and or not totally abstract, but uh, anyways. And then finally, um, I guess was it Marion or one of my teachers had said, you know, sometimes it can be a good idea to start a painting with a with a transparency that you pro project because it gives you your start. Mm -hmm. You don't have to stick with that image exactly, but you start out that way. So I started doing that, um, and uh, but prior to that, I, what I before that, I started combining different images together. That was it, and uh, and so you know I borrowed from all over the place. Uh, you know I borrowed from these anatomical drawings that were in the Montreal Health Press booklets and this kind of stuff, and then I um, started on. Um, using these uh, transparencies. So one day, uh, one of these sort of accidental things, a transparency fell on top of the other one, and I saw this whole new image, and I thought, wow. So that's when I started, you know, putting, in, you know, getting a lot of transparencies of different images that, I, that appealed to me, and then trying them together and so on. And so a lot of those images were from the newspaper, and they were political things, you know, like, um, you know, protests where the police were in riot gear or, um, uh, I can't think of another good example right now, but, or, or sometimes, like uh, this one over here, sometimes they were just um, um, pictures, there were some that were pictures that my husband had taken of buildings being torn down, mm -hmm. and I was kind of, very interested in the way that, you know, concrete, when it's being torn down, goes from being this very geometrical thing to being this kind of, you know, has all these things, uh, reinforced steel coming out, and it gets very organic looking, you know. Um, and, uh, but so somewhere in there, I guess I, I began to think of myself as really having a very very strong message, political message, you know? So most of my stuff has been like that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's more just about the environment. Well, I shouldn't say just about, that's very important, but it has been about the environment. And sometimes it's been about um, political events or um, there's a painting down here that has uh, dead fish, you know, that was from a um, a photo I saw of a river that got polluted from some uh, factory or something, something industrial um, in Spain. Mm -hmm. And I called it unnatural disasters, you know. So, um, so that's how it sort of developed. Yeah. Mm. And I've always, I don't know, I've always been very um, attracted to very bright colors reds and and purples and things like this you know mm -hmm. so uh so a lot of my paintings are are kind of in that uh um, color scheme you know mm. so yeah That's i think cool. i've covered most of everything I, that i can think of yeah 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 so uh that was very interesting to talk about it all really yeah it sort yeah. of helps you to think about what you have been up to you know yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs>